My message today is on the ministry of the watchman, and my title uh, of this message is O Watcher of Men. My text is uh, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, and reading from verses 32 to verses 37, very profound passage of Scripture. And it says, Jesus is speaking, and He says that on that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, and only, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going on a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly, suddenly, he will find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now the context of this passage is Jesus teaching on the last days. And he has just painted a very bleak scenario of what is going to happen. And he ends his prophetic teaching by commanding all of us to watch. And his message is not just for a selected few, it's for all of us. He said, what I say unto thee, I say unto all, watch. Now the Lord begins by saying that the day of His return is secret. No one knows. Not even the Son of God knows this. Only the Father in heaven. So it makes people look very stupid who think that they know the day. Then the Lord says, watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. Now of course all of that is designed to catch us by surprise. It is a test to see those who are awake and those who are asleep, those who are watching and those who are not. And Jesus then refers to himself as the man who goes to a far country and leaves instructions to three sets of people. I've never seen this before, and this is what I want to highlight today. The first group are his servants, and to them he entrusts his authority. Now, I am a servant of the Lord. I have authority because I've been entrusted a responsibility, and with great responsibility comes great authority, or vice versa. Where did I hear that before? <laughs> I do not wield the rod of authority for fun. I have authority over all that God has entrusted to me, and that includes this house. And what I'm responsible for, God has given me authority over, and God will back me up because I am His representative. And I will have to answer for Him on the day of judgment for you, so please make my job easy. Amen. Then to each of of the members of the body, He gives a specific work. I've never seen this before, but it's there in scriptures. It is the job of the leadership to ensure that everybody in the rank and file here in Cornerstone has a function and is doing something. It's like a human body. Every part of the body has a function. And if you don't have a function, you should not be in the body. Likewise, every member in the church has a function and everyone must know what his work is, what her work is. There shouldn't be anybody in Cornerstone who, shouldn't, who isn't serving because a non-serving Christian is an oxymoron. You know, the church is like a football uh, game. It's like being a stadium and 50,000 people watching 22 people play. The 22 people are the pastors and the, the, the full-time staff. They desperately need rest. And the 50,000 people, that's the church, desperately need exercise. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no little people here in Cornerstone. Everybody here has a role to play and you have a function to play. You need to find out what it is. Don't live life on the peripherals. Get into the the core of who you are and come into convergence and enjoy the life that God has created for you. But there's a third person that's mentioned in this uh, verse that I did not see before. It's the doorkeeper. The doorkeeper. 
The King James Bible says porter. The Greek word is tururos, where we get the word for watcher. And interestingly, it is in the feminine gender. And I have a suspicion that the best and most faithful watchmen are the watchwomen. I believe that with all my heart. I believe God is going to raise up the women in this hour. So men, if you don't want a place, just move aside because the women want what you got. The women want to rise up. And I know that God is going to raise many women to be mighty warriors in the church. Hallelujah. So the primary job of the doorkeeper is to watch. Another reference of this is John 18, where in the trial of Jesus, uh, a woman at the door who was a watcher said to Simon Peter, are you not also one of his, uh, this man's disciples? She was a keeper of the door or a watcher, all right? Now, what is the one quality that's needed in a watchman? It is to be awake. He has to be awake while everybody else is asleep. That is his job. The watchman has to be awake for two primary reasons in the Bible. Number one, because we have an enemy. When the city is asleep, when the, uh, when, when the watchman must be awake, watching for every move that the enemy makes because the lives of everybody else in the city depends on them being awake and then sounding the alarm when they see something happening. The spirit of slumber has been unleashed by Satan against the church. And it's that spirit that lulls us to sleep. And while we are asleep, that's when we are most vulnerable. It's when we are asleep, that's when the devil comes and so stares amongst us. It's when we are asleep, that's when the enemy is most active. We cannot assume that we can be part-time Christians and overcome a full-time devil. He's stronger than us. He's smarter than us. He's been around longer than us. And we must be prepared to battle, ladies and gentlemen. We must up the ante in the church. We're in the final hours of the last days. And the watchman must keep awake while the others are sleeping. You've all probably heard of the phrase, not on our watch. This phrase is used in ships, where the officers on the ships, when it was their turn to men, their posts cannot afford to fall asleep. Why? Because everybody, the lives of every sailor on that ship depends on them being awake and alert. And of course, this term was popularized by President George Bush when referring to the genocide in Rwanda. He said, as long as he was the president, he said, on my watch, something like this will never, ever happen again. And I'll tell you, my friends, if God has called you to be a watchman, then on your watch, the enemy must not be given a foothold in this generation or in the next generation. We have an enemy that's constantly probing our defenses, our walls to see if there's some reach to see if there's some kink in our armor to find a vulnerable spot. In 1964, I, I, I used to be a lot into pop music and rock music. In 1964, there was a band, two men, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel, uh, called Simon and Garfunkel. They wrote a haunting song called The Sound of Silence that captivated and captured the heart of a generation. In that song, they talked about a, a vision slowly creeping in and left its seeds while we were sleeping. And here's how the song goes. I won't sing it to you. I'll just relate the words. And that vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. And this is what the enemy did exactly in the 1960s and then the 1970s. And Satan lulled a whole generation to sleep. And while we slept, while that generation before us slept, the enemy came and planted the seeds of rebellion in the hearts of that whole generation in the hearts of the hippie generation and 60 years later we're still reaping the fruit of our slumber we're still reaping the fruit of our laziness 
We must not fall asleep in this crucial hour, my friends, for the sake of the emerging generations. On our watch, 377A must not and cannot be repealed. Amen. It is non-negotiable. It will open the floodgates of unrighteousness in this nation. And we must not allow the enemy to sow tears in the children's minds while we are derelict and sleeping. And this is what's happening today. Our young people are more influenced by social media. Our young people are more influenced by social media and by the things that are coming out in the internet than by the Word of God. And that's a shame. That's a shame. The world is asleep, for sure. But woe to humanity if the church is asleep too. The second reason why we have to watch is because we have a master who is returning and we do not know when. In Matthew chapter 24, in verses 42 to 44, Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour that your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man coming is coming in an hour that you do not expect. The King James Bible says, Therefore you shall, you shall also be ready for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. You know, the, the thief here refers to Jesus. It's not the thief. He's coming like a thief. Amen. But he's not the thief because when he comes again, he's not going to take anything that does not belong to him. And if you don't belong to him, he's not going to take you. But he's coming like a thief in the night. How does a thief come? He comes unannounced. He comes at a time when we're not expecting. He doesn't tell you by which entrance he's coming. He doesn't tell you which time he's coming. And all that, of course, is designed to surprise us. And that's exactly the way Jesus is coming back. We must bear in mind that he's coming as a thief in the night. So my friends, be prepared. All that is, I said, designed to surprise us. Amen. And uh, it's verse 44 says, Therefore you also be ready. What are we to be ready for? For the coming of the Lord. Two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left behind. Two will be in the bed. One will be taken and one will be left behind. You better know that you're the one that's going to be taken. If you want to wake up at a certain time in the morning, what do you do? What do you set? You set an alarm clock. It's not, it's not called the good morning clock. It's not called the hello, it's a brand new day clock. Hallelujah. It's called the alarm clock. And God is sounding the alarm for us to wake up in this hour. Every morning my alarm goes off at 4.45. That's when I get up to pray. That's why I take my place in His presence. That's why I station myself on the rampart because I have a responsibility, not just for my family, but for the church of God. I have to stand before God's people. I have to stand before the Lord. And it's my responsibility. I want to encourage you to start getting up early, my friends. I want to encourage you. How do you know you've been asleep? It's when you're awake. And all of a sudden you realize, my goodness, I've been sleeping. Parents, you have a role, a watchman role over your families. Pray for them. My goodness, my friends, you got to pray for them, fathers. you got to get up in the morning and stand in the gap for your family. And every morning I pray for my family. I mention each family member by name before God. I pray for the blood of Jesus to cover them. I pray for God's protection. I pray John 17 over their lives that the Lord would keep them through His name and sanctify them in His Word. His Word is truth. And keep them from evil. I ask the Lord to put a hedge of protection over my family. I ask God to keep evil far from us. And I tell you this, I am confident that God answers our prayer. Amen. And then I pray for the church because I'm responsible for the body of Christ here. And I speak the blood of Jesus over this community. We pray for the walls, that there'll be no breaches over these walls. We decree seven things over the church, and you know it again and again. I've said it over the pulpit. No cancer, no premature deaths, no suicides, no abortions, no miscarriages, no sexual immorality. And no divorce over this house, Lord. 
We speak as watchmen over the house of God. And I believe that God is calling men and women in this church to rise up and pray, to rise up early in the morning. Come on, my friends. I want to see smoke in your chimney, hallelujah, early in the morning. I want you to get ready to get serious with God, hallelujah. Amen. Now it's the Lord who appoints watchmen and he sets them on the walls to guard the church. Isaiah 62 and verses 6 to 7 says, I've set watchmen on your walls. O Jerusalem, they shall not hold their peace day or night. You shall make who you who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem as a praise in the earth. My friends, I tell you this, if God has appointed you as a watchman, your job is to give him no rest. Your job is to Stand at the walls and day and night pray until he establishes righteousness in your domain. Hallelujah. In the area of your responsibility. You know, in, a, in the fifth chapter of the book of Isaiah, which is an interesting chapter, it is the song of the Lord's vineyard. Did you know that the first thing that God does when he plants a field, when he plants a vineyard, what is the first thing he does? He ring fences the vineyard. He protects what he plants. Hallelujah. And the next thing we are told in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 2, that he built a watchtower. My friends, I tell you, what does that say to us? It says that he protects what is his. Hallelujah. He guards what belongs to him. He that keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Hallelujah. I love that word keep. I tell you, our God is a keeper. He keeps us, hallelujah. He protects us, amen. And He wants that same quality to be in all of us, amen. He wants that quality to be in all the fathers of this house. He wants that quality to be to be all in all the mothers of the house. We must have a sense of protection over all that God has given to us. I have a brand new uh, one-month-old uh, darling grand granddaughter. I love her to bits. Right? She is the love of my life right now. And I, I just tell her she's so vulnerable and I'm so protective over her. And I, you know, sometimes uh, people come and they want to get, oh, no, 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 better not get it. Like, this. <laughs> She's protective over her. And uh, the sense of, and God says, one day he spoke to my heart. He says, that's the way I want you to treat my people. With the same jealousy. With the same sense of, of fatherly love and uh, protection. Hallelujah. I'm going to show you right now three people in the Bible that were the great watchmen of Israel. I want to tell you this, that the strength of Israel has never been in the Israeli defense force. It's always been in the prophets. Hallelujah. The prophets were the ones that patrolled the nation. When the, these three men around, they, the Israel was protected. The first is the great prophet Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 13, we're told that God's hands was against the Philistines all the days of the lives of Samuel. They could not touch Israel. They could not come near to Israel as long as Samuel watched the watchman over the house of God. It was Samuel's intercession that kept the enemy at bay. Come on, hallelujah. The second great prophet was the prophet Elisha. And during his watch, the Syrians could do no harm to Israel. They were a stronger army, but they could not touch Israel. And while they were planning that, strategy in the war room, Elisha was telling the king of Israel what they were doing. And he was always three steps ahead of them. And one time an old army, a whole army came to arrest uh, Elisha and take him captive, surrounded the walls of the city. And with one word he speaks and the entire army is blinded. Come on, I believe the day is going to come when God is going to entrust these, this kind of authority to his church. But my focus today is on the third great watchman of Israel, and his name is Ezekiel the prophet. We find his call to be in a watchman in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17. It says, Son of man, I made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. 
This call to be a watchman comes from God. It is not something that you can take upon yourself. There are too many self-appointed, self-anointed, and self-proclaimed people parading themselves as watchmen, causing more harm than good. Ladies and gentlemen, there are some people that are sent, but there are some people that just took a microphone and went. Hallelujah. But, you, but we are called to be watchmen, not watchdogs. There are certain ministries that exist just to criticize other churches and other ministries. And God has not called us to do that, my friends. God has not called us. That's just a mean spirit. The fact is not everyone is called to be a watchman. I've been asked just a couple of weeks if there's a difference between a prophet and a watchman. My take is all watchmen are prophetic, but not all prophetic people are watchmen. It's appointment by God. And if God has called you one, then you need to know what is required of you. I'm going to give you three basic requirements of a watchman and then take this to a landing. In Ezekiel chapter 3, and I'm going to read three segments of Scripture, so track with me, hang in there with me. In Ezekiel chapter 3, in verses 1 and 2, Moreover, he said, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat the scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. The first requirement is something called eating the scroll. Eating the scroll simply means whatever you preach on Sunday, God will make you eat on Monday. Hallelujah. The preacher must become one with the message. The word has to be made flesh. When the prophet ate the scroll, it was sweet in his mouth like honey. And I tell you this, my friends, you got to taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. Amen. Why? Because if the watchman is not preaching or not living what he's preaching, then there's something called dissonance. And dissonance is when you hear and see two, two things that are different and your mind is confused. The two main gates of a human soul are the eye gate and the ear gate. So it's as important as we hear, not just hear the gospel, but we also need to see the gospel. And that's why signs and wonders are so important because there's a different dimension of the preaching of the gospel. Now here's an important truth. If people hear and see a different message, what do you think they will believe? Think about that for a few moments. They see something, but they hear something different. What will they believe? Now, the mind doesn't like this. The brain doesn't like this. It doesn't like having two conflicting views at the same time. A university in England experimented this. They had a TV, one of these old analog televisions. And on the TV, there was a face of a man, and there's a little speech bubble coming out of his mouth. And the words there was the word pop, pop, P-O-P, which is a word for father in England, pop. But the sound said, Dad, Dad. Every time he said, pop, with the bubble, the sound said, Dad, all right? They put people in front of the TV for one minute and asked them, what is this man saying? What is this man really saying? Nine out of ten said, pop, because people believe what they see with their eyes more than what they hear with their ears. But when you have preaching that is both, you know, I remember in the days uh, when the black and white television was first introduced uh, on uh, TV5, Channel 5 or something like that. Um, I was a young kid. We were all sitting in front of the television, black and white television for the first time. And um, in those days, of course, you know, many times the picture and the sound were not in synchronization, right? The, the picture was always like a split second faster than the sound. And we get very confused and disorientated. When that happens, what do people say? Do people say the picture needs adjusting? Or do people say... The sound needs adjusting. What do they say? They always say the sound needs adjusting. Why? Because people believe what they see rather than what they hear. And I, I don't want to belabor the point, but when we see and hear the same thing, that's good preaching. Come on. 
That's good communication. Amen. The second requirement is in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verses 8 and 9. Behold, I made your face strong against their faces and your forehead against their foreheads. Like an adamant stone, harder than flint, I made your forehead. Do not be afraid of, their look, of them and be dismayed by their looks. My friends, I tell you this, that one of the most difficult things in life is to go to your own people and correct them. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and to his own people. You know, when I travel overseas, sometimes they treat me like a, you know, with such great honor, like a celebrity sometimes, you know. And then I'm back at home and... Uh, uh. But I tell you this, you have to have a forehead like Adam and Stone. You have to be conditioned by the Holy Spirit to take hit after hit after hit and let it not affect you. You cannot be bitter against people. And if you're going to be a watchman, then your forehead must be stronger than those that you're going to speak to because they will butt their heads with you. And you must not be afraid of them, especially when you're preaching and they glare at you or scare, stare at you disapprovingly or they give you that scar on their face. And sometimes I know that when I'm preaching, there are people that, that are looking, but praise God for the mask. Hallelujah. That's... <laughs> you know, one of the reasons why I think that we all have a mask in the church, this is my own theory, all right, is because for many years, Christians have been coming to church with their mask on. Yeah. We've all been coming with a pretense. How are you, brother? I'm so good. And your whole life's all broken up and messed up. And we, we fail to be honest with the people that love us most. Sometimes we just need to be real and strength. My, my, how are you, brother? Man, it's, it, I'm struggling, man. Would you pray for me? There are things in my life that shouldn't be in my life. And so, my friends, we, we have to be honest and we need to ask God for an iron forehead. All right. Point number three, which is the most important point. Well, hear me, please. If you've forgotten all these things, don't forget this one. It's in verse 15. And I came to the captives by the, at Tel Abit, which is Tel Aviv today who dwelt by the river Kaba, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. If you want to be a watchman, you first have got to sit where they sit. When a, when a prophet Ezekiel first encountered God in his multifaceted glory, and he sees the chariot throne of God, he falls down as one who was dead. And there the Almighty God speaks to him and sends him and commands him to go to the captives to go to those who are in bondage and give a word. Ezekiel gets up and he's ready to go. He's pumped up. He's angry and he's going in the heat of his own spirit. He's angry with the people when God was not angry. He, God was brokenhearted over the, the state of his people. When God has heard, we must learn to carry that hurt as well. We must demonstrate what is in God's heart. And when we do things in the heat of our own spirit, that's when we begin to operate in the flesh. When we, I don't know how many times I have spoken out, lashed out strongly on people in the heat of my spirit. And I was all just immaturity and silliness and foolishness. And the Lord says, you got to learn how to sit where they sit. you got to know where they, are, what are, where they are hurting. And you got to walk in their footsteps before you can even say something to them. And we're told that when he got there, he was astonished at the state of his people and instead of speaking he sat down with them for seven days and seven nights he sat where they sat and said absolutely nothing and I think he saw the despair of the people and understood something of the heart of God I remember when Heidi Baker first went to Mozambique many many years ago she said to us 
that she did not preach a word to the people. She sat where the people sat. She sat on the roadsides with the kids, where, where, where the, the gangs and the poverty was. She learned the language. She learned the culture from the people. And I tell you, after six months, she said, I just understood where the people was. I had to understand where they are before I can preach to them. Come on. Please don't rush into a place in the heat of your own spirit until you said where the people sit, until you feel what they felt, struggle what they struggle. Don't say a word. Don't say a word, my friends. Don't say a word until you know what they are going through. I tell you this, after seven days of silence, the prophet begins to understand. This is a powerful principle that must not be violated. Even God, when he came to redeem us, he could not redeem us from the lofty pinnacles of heaven. But it came down to us in the second, 20, 60, 62nd generation of Adam. And he wrapped himself in human flesh and was born out of womb of a virgin. And he came out amongst us and he walked with us and said where we said, he didn't come out of the womb preaching. He sat where he sat. He became flesh and he clothed himself with humanity and he wept at our funerals. He cried with us when we cried. He took our sorrow upon himself. He took the chastisement upon himself. And when he understood what we have gone through, he was equipped to become the captain of our salvation. And he became the author and the finisher of our faith. And that's why for a million years and more, we will still be praising what Jesus has done for us. Hallelujah. If you will scroll down to the next few verses in verse 18. This is the responsibility of the watchman. The Lord says, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I shall require from thy hands. The watchman's job is to be faithful, to, see what he, to declare what he sees and what he hears. It's not my job as a watchman to try and change people. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. But it's my job to sound the alarm. It's my job to declare what God says, no more, no less, what he says. If the watchman disobeys and calamity falls on the wicked, the Lord says, I will require his blood on your hands because, and on the day of judgment, you've got to answer for your negligence. It's the same with the righteous man. I tell you, if a righteous man sins and departs from the, the path of righteousness and he dies and you did not warn the righteous man. You know what the Bible says? All his righteousness, he says, I will not remember. In other words, not one save, always save. Come on, I'm telling you this, my friend. Don't you believe that, that junk? Don't you believe that doctrine? That doctrine doesn't come from God. It gives people a false sense of security. They think that once I'm saved, 25 years ago, I said the sinner's prayer, and today I'm, I'm living in sin, I'm living in open rebellion, and I'm living uh, in, in, without any need for repentance, and I think I'm going to go to heaven. You better think again, buddy. You better think again. Finally, let me close with this. Isaiah 56 and verses 10 and 12. I've got five minutes left. His watchmen are blind. They are ignorant. Dumb dogs, they cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. They're greedy dogs which never have enough. They're the shepherds, the pastors, who cannot understand. They look to their own way, everyone to his own gain, everyone from his own territory. And come, one says, and I'll bring wine. And we'll fill ourselves with intoxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. I think this is the problem of our watchmen in our, in, in our nation. If you want to know how a congregation is doing, just look at the leaders of the church. Look at how God describes his watchmen. They are blind, ignorant, dumb, asleep. What an indictment. 
But you must ask the question, what caused this condition? What makes us blind, lazy, dumb, sleepy? Well, the answer is in verse 11. They all look to their own gain. They all look to their own turf. They all look to their own people. You know, I just want to have a brand name for my church. I just want to make sure our church is the most famous church in this country. I want to make sure that everybody else in the world knows about my church. I want my church to be the biggest church in the nation. I want my church to have the best buildings in the nation. I want to have all these things. And I'll tell you, there's something wrong if that is your motivation. And that's where the church, that's where the problem was. Everybody was looking out for his own turf. That's all vanity, my friends, by the way. Listen, God has called us in this hour to see beyond the walls of our church. Come on. It's not about Cornerstone. It's about the nations. Amen. Amen. Come on. we got to see past this. I know that God's adding a lot of people. In the last six months, we've grown like we've never grown before. There are more people coming in. It's difficult to get tickets in our service. I understand this. I apologize to some people who have tried for weeks that couldn't get a place in the service. And I know when the services finally begin and our whole old church comes back, we're going to have problems with the space. And that's why I believe God's going to give us another campus. Hallelujah. But look at verse 12, and I'll take this to a landing. They are intoxicated with wine. What does wine represent? It represents the legitimate pleasures of life. And it's those same legitimate pleasures that now blind us. Paul says all things are lawful, but not all things are needful or helpful. Not all legitimate things are good for us, my friends. And we've got to learn how to refrain, not just from the unclean, but also sometimes from the legitimate that does not have any spiritual benefit to us whatsoever. Again, I want to encourage you, my friends, please hear my heart as your pastor. Be careful about alcohol. Don't take that license and then drink till you drop. Because many Christians are drinking more than they should. More than they should. And they're always bordering at being tipsy and drunkenness. And I tell you that that's debauchery. And you got to wake up because there's something about that. Too many Christians are drinking way too much and too often as well. And every time there's a celebration, everybody brings a bottle of wine. You be careful about that, my friends. I'm not saying you cannot drink. I'm just saying you better be careful. Because it will make you sleepy. It will make you lazy. And you come to a place where spiritually you cannot discern any longer. I searched the Bible. I'm telling you this, at least I know the subject better than anybody else. I've searched the scripture and there's not one good thing in the Old Testament said about alcohol. And the only reason why we all drink, people drink alcohol is because Jesus turned water into wine one time. And I know it was wine, it was not grape juice, it was really good wine. And I'm again, not against people drinking wine. I'm just saying to you, my friends, you be careful. The, num the, the alcohol that you consume. I'll close with this right now. Revelation chapter 10 the angel of the Lord comes at the sound of the seventh trumpet. Mighty angel lifts his right hand to heaven and he swears to it by him who lives forever and ever. And he says these words in the Greek language, Kronos okite, okite estai. Kronos okite estai. He's saying in the language, time is no longer. Time is no longer. We will come to a period of time in the history where there will be no more time left. My friends, every time you say, God, have mercy upon me, He extends mercy by giving you more time. He gives you more time, but there will come a time when there is no more time. We must get ready, my friends. Will you stand with me, please? I, wanna, I want to... Um, 
Many years ago, in the nation of Wales, there was a lady called Lewis Watkins. She was staying very near the Bible to the Moriah Chapel in Lucca. One day she was in prayer and the presence of God filled her room. And the presence of God was so strong it started crystallizing like a cloud. The Lord speaks to Lewis Watkins and says, Lewis, I want you to go to Moriah Chapel and I want you to declare, wakey, wakey. And she said, Lord, that's the silliest thing, silliest thing I ever heard. No, I'm not going to do that. The voice came a second time, but this time stronger with greater conviction. And then finally she yields because you know how God works in the real step principle. When the voice becomes too loud, you, she yields and she goes to Moriah Chapel. And there's a lot of people there. You know, it's people from all around the world come to, to Wales to visit all these revival sites. And she said, Lord, you could have chosen a better time. There's so many people. And the Lord says, if you obeyed me the first time, there would have been nobody. So she said, wakey, wakey, and walked out. And the Lord says, Lewis, is that the level of passion you have for revival? She said, no, sorry. She goes back, and at the top of her voice, she says, wakey, wakey. She turns and walks out, and she hears a, a yawn, and her eyes are suddenly open, and she sees a huge angel stretching out his hands as though he was a uh, getting up from a long sleep and I know that messes with some of your theology do angels actually fall asleep but he stretches his arms and he says to Lewis Watkins he says I am the angel of the 1904 revival and I've fallen asleep but you have woken me up from my sleep you've woken me up from my sleep and I've fallen asleep because people have stopped calling on revival for the nation oh my friends I tell you this I'm stirred up by that I'm stirred. I believe that God is going to be his faithful to set watchmen of the wall who will give him no rest till God restores righteousness on this planet. Hallelujah. There are people here right now in this audience that God is speaking to. There are many women in this church that God says, I want you to be submitted to the leadership because I'm calling you into the ministry of the watchmen. Those whom God anoints must be appointed. The anointed must be appointed. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And I pray, God, for a wonderful, pr pr uh, a protective instinct to come to your people here. Hallelujah. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.